All right, good evening, and we are in the book or the letter of the Hebrews, and we are in chapter 12 of the letter to the Hebrews, and just a refresher on what the book of Hebrews is and uh, who the book of Hebrews is written to. We know and we had learned that it is a group of Hebrew Christians who were threatening to go back to Judaism, uh, leaving Christianity and going back to Judaism, and the writer of Hebrews is exhorting them not to leave the faith, not to leave the faith at all. And so we did the Hall of Faith last week, where we talked about different individuals of the Old Testament and how they were exemplified as those people of God who had great faith. And so we then come to chapter 12. And if you'll notice, if you look down and notice in chapter 11, verse 40, it says, actually 39, it says, and all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without, without us, should not be made perfect. And then he transitions and goes into chapter 12. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He says that seeing or or understanding that we have and that we are encircled about around each one of us, a great cloud of witnesses. And this word cloud, it is giving the indication or it's trying to convey the idea of a dense encircling of heavenly individuals, which could be made up of saints and angels that are like the individuals of the Hall of Faith in chapter 11, who are this great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of those that uh, have had a great testimony of faith and how that we we are surrounded by them. They are around us in the sense, not that they are around us in like, you, you know, around us like, you know, guardian angels or whatever, but that they are, they surround us in the sense of they're in the faith with, uh, with us and they witness of that faith. We are are surrounded, we are encompassed about so great a cloud, so great a group of witnesses as we saw in chapter 11. He says, seeing this, understanding this, and if they were able to put aside their encumbrances and remain faithful to God through all kinds of things, we ought to do the same thing. He says there, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Laying aside, that term means it's like having a coat on, and you take off that coat, and you put it aside, and you lay it down. This is the idea that is being conveyed to us in chapter 12, verse 1, about laying aside this weight or the burdens and sin which does easily beset us, which does easily entrap us or get us involved in it. 
We are to lay aside those sins. Today, many people, many evangelists and pastors and ministers, they look aside, they look away from the sins of people instead of encouraging them as we would want to do, encourage you to stay away from sin, turn away from sin, put off that weight of sin, put off that burden of sin from you, and don't get involved in it. He says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What is the race that's set before us? It's the being faithful and walking with cleanliness in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ until the day you die. That is the race that you're running. And we don't do it for a fake crown. We don't do it for a giant gold medal like they do in the Olympics. We are getting the crown of righteousness. We are getting the end result is to be with the Lord Jesus forever. And he says in verse 2, look at that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one who made the faith and he's the finisher of it. He said on the cross, it is finished. He's done the work. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That is Christianity, who for the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him, it says, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, even though he knew he was going to the cross, and even though he cried out, Father, if it possible, take this cup from me, he still went to the cross. He endured the cross he dis, uh, he endured uh, despising the shame that those despisers were shaming him even while he was on the cross and he and when he was done he had sat down at the right hand of the throne of god that is the seat of power the right hand means the seat of power how awesome that is and this is leading up into something here in verse 4 that I want you to pay close attention to. But we go to verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Consider him, he says, that endured much contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Verse 4. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. What is he saying in verse 4? Though Jesus is the author and finisher of the faith, he endured the cross, despised the shame. He sat down at the right hand of God on the throne. We are to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in yourselves, in your minds, because Jesus, he was striving against sin and to point it out and to bring it the attention so that people could be saved, it's so much so that his blood was spilt for it. And in verse 4 it says, You, those us, us Christians, and especially these Hebrew Christians here, we have not strived against sin and against all of its, it, the sin's damnable consequences of sin f- with people that we were killed for our faith that we were killed for it. He says, you haven't resisted unto blood, striving against sin. No, we haven't, and we should be. And the point is that we really, really should be striving against sin. And if it costs us our life because we're 
pointing out sin and we're bringing up sin. You know, there's people, all people, lots and lots of people cannot stand having their sins being pointed out to them. They'll call you judgmental. They'll call you all kinds of things. But when you see sin, especially operating in the church, you have to call it out. He says, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children that says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son he receiveth. And if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For verily they for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, speaking of God, for our profit, why, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So this is dealing with the fact that if you don't have any chastisement from God, if you're doing things wrong and God is not chastising you, God is not pricking your heart and saying to you, don't do that, that's not good, I don't want you doing that. It's saying, if you don't get that as a Christian, if you're not, if you're not chastised as a Christian, you need to consider the fact of whether you are a Christian or not. And we know that we have earthly fathers that correct us because they love us. And they do it for their, just because they're the Father. But our Heavenly Father does it for us for a reason. He does it for that we might be partakers of His holiness. That's why. Don't be, don't be upset when God chastises you and sulk and sit in the corner like a child. Be thankful. Take that chastisement and learn from it and move on because God is molding you into holiness. He says in verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. He says, Wherefore then, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Oh, don't be sulking. Don't be upset. Don't be hanging down. Don't be getting down and, oh, woe was me. No, lift up your hands. God is dealing with you. God is working with you to correct you so that you could be partaker of his holiness. And be healed from your country, from your uh, chastening. Be healed from it. Move, move on it. Say, yes, God is chasing me because he doesn't want me to do this because this is wrong. Thank you for showing that to me and be healed and move on with it. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We are to follow peace with all men. Now in Romans chapter 11, it talked about how that we are to, as much as it lies within us, to try and live peaceably with all men. He says, I'm sorry, it's in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. He says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And here again in Hebrews, he's talking about follow peace with all men. We are to try to be 
at peace with all men. We're trying to be at, at peace with them in the sense that we can be great examples of Christians being great examples of one who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And holiness, he says. Now, this is interesting because today many Christians, many churches, many ministries are not walking in holiness. They don't care about it. They don't want to. It doesn't mean anything to them. Oh, well, that holiness is something you cannot attain. Well, God didn't ask whether you can attain it or not. He's asking you to follow holiness, go after holiness, to be holy. And that's another whole message in itself about being holy. But here he does say that we are to follow peace with all men and holiness. Why? Because without which no man shall see the Lord. That is powerful. That is very powerful. Holiness and being holy is the ultimate goal that because a sinful flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So holiness is the prize to walk after. He says in verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So he says, look diligently, lest you fail from the grace of God. Not fall, but fail from the grace of God. He says that a root of bitterness would get up in you. A root of bitterness is a horrible thing to have in the life of a person. When a person is bitter, all kinds of things come on. Envy, jealousness, jealousy, hatred, just that bitter nature is horrible. We are not to have that root of bitterness because it leads to other things. And you'll be defiled. Don't be a fornicator or a profane person. And he gives the example of Esau. Interesting how in verse or chapter 12 of Hebrews, he gives the example of Esau who was a, non, who was a, a faithless person, who was a profane person when he had sold his birthright, opposed to chapter 11 of giving out those individuals who were full of faith and who were not profane. He says, for one morsel of meat, he would have sold his birthright. Don't do that. Don't cast off Christianity. Don't cast off your faith. Again, getting back to the fact that these were Hebrews that they were talking to and also us. Don't cast that off. Don't get rid of it just for some some little something of the world that brings you, that gives you a momentary pleasure. He says, For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He says, verse 18, For you're not come unto the mount that might be touched and burned with fire, nor unto the blackness and darkness and tempest. That's at Mount Sinai. He says, And the sound of trumpet and the voice of words which they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. 
The writer of Hebrews says, you're not coming to that mount. You're not come to that mount where you're going to have to be afraid that if you touch the mountain, you'll be thrust through with a spear or a dart. And that the voice shook the heavens. And so much so that Moses even described it and said, I exceedingly fear and quake. He says, you're not come to that. You're not come to the place at the foot of the mountain where you need to receive the law and walk in the law. No, he says, you're not come to that and don't go back to that. He says in verse 22, but you're coming to Mount Sion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. He says to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. You're not come to those things as it was in the Old Testament, but you're come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, a numerable company of angels, a general assembly of the church written in heaven, and to God the judge of all and the spirits of just men made perfect. What are those spirits of those just men made perfect? The ones that are absolutely described in chapter 11 and us by the perfect Lord Jesus. He says, and to Jesus... He says, you didn't come to the mountain that made you scared with the, with the terrible voice and the tempest and the one that said Moses exceedingly fear and quake. But you came to the, all those things described in, chat, in verse 22 and 23 and to Jesus, amen, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh of better things than Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, that is, temporal, things of the earth, as of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain, that is, strong in faith, Faith, the souls of men, heaven. He he says in verse 28, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Now this is beautiful because he described where you don't come to you don't come to a mountain where you if you touch it you might be killed and the voice of the tempest and and uh the the voice of thundering and so terrible was it that moses said i exceedingly fear and quake but you're coming to the all the good things that was in verse 22 and 23 and to jesus mostly amen he ends it with jesus mostly the mediator of the new covenant This is so powerful that he's trying to get into these Hebrew Christians of not leaving and going back to Judaism. There's nothing back there. Oh, you want to go back to Judaism? You're going to have to go back to the mountain, receive the law, and it's going to be scary for you. No. He says, no, you're receiving better things. And and at at the pinnacle, at the top, is to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. He says, don't refuse him that speaks. He says, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, which is Mount Sinai, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. He says, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved, verse 28. 
So let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence, giving honor to God, and godly fear. Remember where it said that we are to live peaceably with all, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then in verse 28, that we are to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He says, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, God is not fire. God is God. God is who he is. This is simply making a comparison that God is so powerful that God, when he speaks, he's so awesome that he is like a consuming fire that in so much so that Moses said he exceedingly feared and quaked when he was on the temple, that God is so powerful. God is so holy. He is like a consuming fire. And so it is that if we in our mortal bodies were to go into the presence of God Almighty right now, we would burn up, save it not be for the Lord Jesus Christ covering us because our God is that powerful. Our God is so, so powerful. So I encourage you to go over this chapter. Again, read it over for yourself if you like. It is unbelievable how that we are to take the privilege of being chastened we are to look to Jesus. We are to hang on to Jesus. He's the mediator of the new covenant that he makes with you and that we should serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Next week, we, we will, God willing, we're going to do chapter 13 and close out our study of Hebrews. And as always, again, Hold the scriptures in high regard. Look to Jesus always. Pray. Read your Bible. Amen.